Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. This is John from pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm so thankful that you're here again. We got to finish up a great conversational Bible study about the dangers of apostasy. We were about to talk about uh, a few different types of apostasy that an, an individual a congregation or a group of congregations can fall into, and it's a, a conversation worth considering, Bible verses worth studying. And so I ask you to join us as Randy and I continue this conversation about the dangers of apostasy. Let's jump back in. Well, let's jump into this next uh, section in the study, the causes of apostasy. We've kind of talked about it a little bit in conversation, but uh, it may not always happen in such uh, drastic and dark terms of somebody, you know, physically manifesting in the way that the devil might look. But this this desertion uh, from the truth to error might happen in a number of even surprising ways. Uh, when I was looking at the notes, I, I was surprised at some of the ways that apostasy can manifest itself. So can you uh, begin with this this first cause of apostasy and help us understand how uh, temptation and other things like it are going to lead people away. Oh, yeah, sure. Thanks. The, one of the things that I did in, in kind of considering this topic and studying it is once I discovered that word apostasia uh, in the Greek, I looked for all the places that that appears in the New Testament. And okay. generally, it's not translated apostasy. It'll be something like falling away. So right. a good example of that is in Luke chapter 8, when Jesus was explaining to his apostles the parable of the sower, uh, he says in Luke eight thirteen. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Fall mm. away. There's a So in the time of temptation, they apostatize. Now, we think of temptation as being, you know, allurement a, a to sin. And that's true. But really, the idea of this word here is more a time of trial or testing or right. adversity. Um, and so... The idea is that whenever people become Christians, they're very likely going to face some kind of persecution, right? Uh -huh. uh, their family is going to disapprove. Their social group's not going to like it. They may have to stop some of the things they've always enjoyed doing. And so when a person becomes a Christian, they're going to face some trials and some tests. And some people fail the test. Some people choose not to continue and be faithful, but just to give up and go a different way. Are there some other scriptures that you could share with us? I like that concept. I'd like to see if there's more that departing of the faith can come from uh, this trial or the persecution that one goes through. You can apostatize. I, I wouldn't make that connection normally. So Okay. Well, yeah, one that comes to mind, I've already mentioned uh, a little bit about Revelation chapter 2 and 3 where uh, Jesus is giving John messages for the seven churches of Asia. Uh, one of them in, in, in Revelation 2 and 10, he tells the church in Smyrna, do not fear any of those things you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. That's the same word that we've seen in other places as really? uh, tempted or tested or tried. So uh -huh. forth. he says, you'll have tribulation 10 days, but be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So he was warning that church, you're going to be persecuted. People be put in prison. Right. But you remain faithful and you'll receive the crown. Okay. Well, uh, beyond this uh, trial and persecution that, that would lead people to fall away, 
there's a more traditional one, the, the idea of, of falling into false doctrine. Help us understand that through the scriptures. Yeah, I really think that's a big one. I think that happens a lot, and that's the one we may generally think of whenever uh-huh. we think about apostasy. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned people to beware of false prophets. Uh, this was a big part of Paul's teaching to the Thessalonians, that they not be led astray by false teachers. We noticed some of that just a few minutes ago. Uh-huh. He told Timothy that would happen. Here's an example in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. There you go. That's exactly what apostasy is. People are departing from the faith, but he says, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Okay. Well, we we don't want to follow deceiving spirits or doctrines of demons, right? No, not at all. Uh, There's another one in his second letter to Timothy, chapter four, verses two through four. He tells him to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Then look what he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, Uh but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Tell me about that phrase, turned aside. Well, it it really means just to turn away from something or to reject it. I like uh, one particular uh, dictionary that said it's to no longer continue to believe as one has, and hence to turn away from or to reject a previous set of beliefs. I'm thinking about in the Old Testament, it's going to be in one of the kings about the young prophet who was given a specific task to go and preach mm-hmm. against Jeroboam. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he was given very specific instructions. You go there, you preach, you turn around, you come home, do not turn aside one way or the other. Don't eat anything, don't drink anything, come back a different way. Right. And, uh, he, he turned aside. And so he suffered a, a consequence of that. You know, God's wrath came down upon him. But it wasn't necessarily that he, uh, uh, you know, turned wicked in, a, in the sense that he joined in idolatry or, or this and that. He simply turned aside from the path that God instructed him to follow. And but but why did he do that? Because someone that he trusted, someone that was a prophet of God, lied to him and said, God told me right. to t- that it was okay for you to come into my house and eat and rest before you go back home. So that's fitting in perfectly with an apostasy through false doctrine and what it means to turn aside. So. Yeah, yeah to, it's, it's, it's natural for us to believe people that we think are credible. Mm-hmm. If there's folks that we look up to and they're knowledgeable, um, and, and they tell us something, you know, we have a tendency to believe that, but it's very dangerous if they tell us something that's not in accordance with God's will. How can we discern between those that we admire and respect? How can we discern when to trust and when to be skeptical of their, of the things that they're saying? You know, how do you not be a, uh, you know, go on a witch hunt or, or, you know, how do you maybe not be suspicious of every detail that's spoken? There's nothing wrong with being suspicious of every detail that's spoken. I'm thinking about uh, the Apostle Paul when he was on his, uh, let's see, that'd be his second missionary journey, I think. Maybe it was his third. Uh, But he talks about the, uh, you know, he had been in Thessalonica and some of the unbelieving Jews ran him out of town and he went to Berea. But he says they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things that they were being told by Paul were true. They questioned Paul. 
Now, mm-hmm. listen, if there's anybody that I would believe implicitly, it would be the Apostle <laughs> Paul. But these people questioned him right. and double checked what he right. was saying with the scriptures. And he praised them for that. He didn't say, how dare you, uh, you know, question my credibility. Right. So as teachers in the Lord's church, I think we need to encourage people. And, and I tell people this all the time. There are people who trust me. I've been an, an instrumental, you know, in teaching them and helping to convert them and so forth. And they'll ask me questions and I'll tell them what I believe the Bible to teach. But I'll say, don't trust me. Don't believe me. You look for yourself. If I don't give you scripture for something, you have no reason to believe what I have to say. That's in line with Paul's own admonition to to, to several groups. I think about uh, in Second Corinthians or First Corinthians two, verse four and five. Second Corinthians two, four, five. Uh, that it wasn't through the persuasive power of his preaching, but through the word, yeah. through the power of the word, that they came to believe. And so there, you know, if Paul's not willing to compel others based on his apostolic authority and and presence, et cetera, then we shouldn't either. So thank you. That's a little side jaunt. Yeah, that, but but I will say this: we, we can learn that there are some people who should not be trusted. There are those who are not credible. And I think about, you know, what Paul wrote to Titus, Titus 1, verses 12 and 14. Uh, He's talking about those who were deceivers. And he said their mouths must be stopped. He says, therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. And so we talk about people departing from the truth, but sometimes it's because there are false teachers that convince them to do so. Okay. Now, you have Hebrews 12, 25 as well, same concept. Will you read it real quick and, and, and help? Yeah, that probably goes along well with what we're talking about. Hebrews 12, 25 says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. He's talking about, you know, the, the book of Hebrews is written to the Jewish people, uh-huh. um, and they understood the one who spoke on earth was Moses. Moses was God's spokesman. He gave God's laws to the children of Israel. The one who speaks from heaven is Jesus. Jesus is the one who has ascended to heaven uh-huh. and is at the right hand of God. And so the point is, when people disobeyed the law of Moses, they were severely punished. Oftentimes they were stoned to death, they were ostracized and so forth. They were separated from the people, they had to offer sacrifices and so forth. It was important for them to listen to what Moses said and do as instructed. And so the message here is, how much more true is it now that we listen to our lawgiver, who is Jesus himself, who died for us? It's more important it's more critical right. for us to listen to him and not be led astray by something else. Oh, the, the second part of that verse is so compelling. Much more shall we not escape if we turn it. Much more. You know, it's not equal. Much more yeah. shall we not escape. So it's yeah. emphasizing even the, the more spiritually dangerous path that apostasy takes whenever we accept false doctrine instead of trying to rightly divide the word of God. Exactly. Okay, so I'm going to sum it up real quick so far. Uh, the the causes of apostasy could be trial or temptation just leading us to throw our hands up. Uh, could be false doctrine, and there's, there's a lot of scripture for that. I hope if people are listening, um, I'll provide those scriptures as well in the various places that you find this podcast. So please consider those in that phrase of turning away. But we're not done yet. Right. There's there's others, other avenues of apostasy that we need to talk about. 
Yeah, and I think this last one, we just read from Hebrews where it talked about how shall we escape. Uh, there's another place that uses the same language in the same book. It's in Hebrews chapter 2. Um, and beginning in the first verse, he says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Right. You know, the idea of drifting away, a person still departs from the faith. But this indicates, uh, you know, not a malicious intent, but just carelessness. Right. Slow, and, gradual. Yeah. Yeah. Drifting away is not, you know, it's not like somebody fires up the outboard motor and scoots off across the <laughs> lake. You're just kind of drifting along with the current. It's very gradual. And sometimes you're not even aware that it's happening. In fact, that's the reason why people drift is because they're not aware that it's happening. They're being neglectful. I, you know, I have an example personally of drifting away uh, at the lake <laughs> that really makes this compelling for me. Uh, we were with my father-in-law. He has a boat, and we were out on the lake, and um, they had a little flotation device that we were able to sit in, and we got out in this little flotation device away from the boat, and his rope only went so far, and it didn't take but a couple minutes, and we were outside of the safety of him being able to throw the boat to us, and one of us had to swim back to get close mm. enough to be able to help, and it was dangerous. I, I didn't realize how quickly... We could drift away in this very casual, gentle breeze that was blowing on the lake. So, yes, there is this lack of awareness of how dangerous drifting can be. Or or as you call it in the notes, uh, well, I think we're going to get to verse 3, right, which is the, the how the drifting happens, right? Yeah, sure. But, but let me just say this, too, about what you just said, uh, using your own example of how you drifted away in this gentle breeze. Imagine how much more quickly that can happen and how much further you can go if you're in a pretty brisk current. Right. And I'm going to propose today, and I'm going to suggest that in our culture today, there is a brisk current away from the truth of God's will. And if a person's not really diligent and really uh, hanging on, you'll drift away quickly before you even know what's happening. You're going to be long gone. Well, what's the source of this drifting away, according to Hebrews chapter 2? Yeah, so let's go on down and read verse 3. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect uh -huh. so great a salvation? Uh, so I think that's the key is when we neglect something, that means we're not paying attention to it. And there's all these passages of Scripture in the New Testament uh, that use the word diligent. Uh, I'm going to give it as an example. We're familiar with 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So be diligent. Peter says in 2 Peter 1 and 10, be diligent to make your call and election sure. So help me maybe contrast neglect and being diligent. So these are, you know, these scriptures yeah. are contrasting to very different types of person. Yeah. So, so diligent is to really pay close attention to, to apply yourself to something, to work towards it, uh, to aim at it, to make that your goal, to make it your focus. Uh -huh. Neglect is just, uh, you know, not really paying attention. I'll tell you where we can see this. Okay. Look at the difference between a person who is driving down the highway and, uh, you know, maybe they're listening to the radio and they're talking to somebody else in the car. Maybe they're texting. Uh, yeah. Don't do that. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and, and maybe the car begins to veer off the road and it can happen quickly. Right. Um, contrast that with a race car driver mm. who is so incredibly intent on the road, who will go out and walk the, the uh, track the day before and look at every pebble and every... Uh, 
every seam in the in the cement or the asphalt, right, whatever right, it is, right. you know, he's focused on the minutia of the process as opposed to this person that's not really paying attention at all. Spiritually speaking, we're in a battle for our lives. Mm-hmm. We ought to be just that focused and just that diligent every day to learn and focus and hang on to and apply God's word in our lives so that we don't accidentally, carelessly, unconsciously drift away from it. You know, some people try to find the lowest common denominator of the faith. What's the least that I can do to just get by? But the scriptures that you're presenting are compelling me and hopefully others to consider that being diligent isn't about finding the lowest common denominator. It's about finding the the highest level of service, you know, the way to improve self, not for the sake of exalting self, but because I love God. God saved me. I want my life as a response to what he has done to be that living sacrifice that's offered to him daily on a daily basis. So diligence means I'm I'm not trying to be shrewd about how I can get out of work, but I'm trying to find ways to to serve him. Let, let me ask everybody to think about something. Whenever God has done something for you, has he done the best he can or has he given you the least that he can? Uh, you, you think about creation. You know, I, I saw a picture on your wall in there earlier of your family at the Grand Canyon. I have uh-huh. a similar picture on my wall of my family at the Grand Canyon. We stood and marveled uh-huh. for a long time at the beauty of God's creation. Uh, I love to hike. I love to be in the mountains. I like waterfalls and, uh, you know, mountain streams and all those kind of things. Where creation is concerned, God did not just make something easy, simple, nothing, flat. It's beautiful. It is amazing. I love to look up at the stars at night. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, too. I, I see the awesome creative genius of God in all of these things. When you think about the word of God, it's the perfect law of liberty. It right. has everything we need to know. It's existed for hundreds of years and it's perfect. It doesn't need to be updated and upgraded and changed like anything that men have ever written needs to have happened to it. Uh, you think about the sacrifice that he offered the perfect lamb of God, everything that God has ever done for us, everything God has ever given to us is the absolute best that he had to offer. How dare us think that we can offer him any less than our very best? Amen. Amen. Indeed. Well, who came? It wasn't the lowest of the angels. It was the radiance of his glory. As Hebrews one says, it was the the express image of God, his son, the best of heaven, died for our sins. I love that question. How can I do less? Yeah. How can I do less? And, you know, there are those, maybe I'm going to get on a soapbox again, but there are those that want to emphasize the grace of God, and they feel insulted when we talk about giving our best as though that we uh, are trying to earn through mm-hmm. our own personal merit salvation. But the question of how could I do less, I think, is the truest form of a response to knowing what grace is and how precious that gift is that we couldn't save ourselves so that God would send his only son to die for our sins. How could I do less when I'm created as his workmanship to do good works? I need to do the best possible because I'm created in the image uh, through Jesus Christ. Whenever I come out of the water, I'm a new man. I don't want to live the old way any longer. That's my soapbox moment. I'm reminded, though, when you ask that question and comment about that, of a passage in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. 
it says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Right. Teaching us uh-huh. that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we right. should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present mm-hmm. world. We're looking for the blessed mm-hmm. hope and the appearing of our Savior. So uh, grace is absolutely essential. It's a fabulous, undeserved gift. That's but it right. doesn't just come down and save us and we don't respond in some way. It's a teacher. It teaches us uh-huh. what we need to do to please God and be with him eternally. I love Titus too. That scripture about grace being beyond just the, the sacrifice of Jesus, grace being the teacher, perfect scripture to help people see the value of living a transformed life. We need to jump back into the study. <laughs> We've got way, <laughs> way off track, but it's great, great to visit. It is, and I hope people can appreciate that, that when you have Bible discussion, sometimes the conversation uh doesn't just stay in a linear way. It can kind of meander here and there, but it's good to do that at mm-hmm. times as well. It's good to consider the scripture. So I'm thankful for uh, that opportunity. But if I can refocus where we're at, uh, we're talking about causes of apostasy. We've considered uh, the trials or the temptations, the persecutions that might lead someone to fall away. We've considered uh, one of the big ones, the, the, the idea of false doctrine being introduced that, that, makes people turn aside. Now we've looked at maybe a subtle danger of neglect and how we must be diligent and to study to show ourselves approved. But uh, you ask a question in your notes, and so I'm going to ask it to you, uh, and that is that there is a bigger or rather the biggest reason for apostasy. What is that biggest reason beyond the three we've considered? Well, the reason I think it's the biggest reason is because it really impacts even the other three. Okay. And it's simply a lack of knowledge. Right. Um, Look at what Paul said about his own countrymen in Romans chapter 10, the first three verses. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Mm. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So he says they're zealous, and and zeal is a good thing. There are several passages of Scripture that talk about that. But the problem with the people that Paul's talking about, his own Jewish countrymen, is they were enthusiastic and they were excited and they claimed to love God and they wanted to do the right thing, but they didn't have any knowledge. They didn't know what the right thing was. Uh, and, and that's what the word ignorant, you know, sometimes we use ignorant. I'm not saying that we should, but sometimes people use that as an insult. Oh, he's just ignorant. But the word ignorant just simply means to not know something. Right. Um. There are a lot of people today that are in exactly the same situation as these people that Paul was describing. Uh, they they want to please God. They love God. They believe that he exists. They're zealous. They don't have the first idea about what God wants from them because right. they don't know the scriptures. That, that zealous or that zeal rather or sincerity is another word we might use. They're very sincere emotionally, but without knowledge, that zeal or that sincerity is not going to be according to the righteousness of God. Give me another scripture or two. Let's not just keep it at one. Let's let's consider more. Well, I, I would say two, uh, one of them from the New Testament, one from the Old. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says, Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. Mm. I speak this to your shame. So it, it's, a, it's a shame for people to not have a knowledge of God. Now, I don't want to, you know, downplay 
the idea of zeal or sincerity or enthusiasm. Right. Those are, are positive qualities that we should all possess. But alone, they could cause us to do the wrong thing. We, we, we may have the best of intentions. You know, I'm not a doctor. Uh, so if I find somebody that's in need of some kind of health care, if, if, there if, there, if there's been an accident and I can transport them to the hospital or do something to stop the bleeding, I'll do what I can. But for me to try to tell that person what to do, uh, I would be lost. I don't have that knowledge. Well, I think there's a lot of people that have good intentions where spiritual things are right. concerned, but rather than have a knowledge of God's word, they just kind of just spout off whatever they think, whatever mm -hmm. they feel, whatever they like. There's a lot of emotion behind somebody's feelings whenever they might not have truth, but they don't want to change. It's that sincerity kind of rots them to the core. Yeah. Um, but, and, and I said there was an Old Testament scripture. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask too. you, if you'd share that Old Testament with us. Yeah, Hosea 4 and 6 is a great one. Uh, it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from being priest for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. And so God is saying to his own people, if you don't have knowledge, you know, he gave them the opportunity for knowledge. That was a great blessing of grace that he provided them with his law and his instructions. But they were destroyed for lack of knowledge. They didn't listen. They didn't learn it. They didn't pay attention. Randy, somebody might be thinking, Man, you guys are just emphasizing knowledge and knowledge. and You got to know this. You got to know that. But the greatest is love. And if you have all knowledge, but you don't have love, you know, it's just not going to mean anything. And they might try to cast aside this issue under the banner of love. What would you say to maybe encourage them to consider? Well, I, I don't want people to ever listen to one side of something and assume that every argument is binary. That if you say works are important or obedience is important, that you think grace or faith don't matter. That, that's ridiculous. Right. Uh, and I would say the same thing here. Yeah, love is very important. Paul said, if I have all knowledge and don't have love, you know, I'm a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Uh -huh. So if a person is the smartest person in the world, best educated, has all kinds of intellect about them and doesn't have love, if a person has the whole Bible memorized and doesn't have love, then that's not good. But at the same time, the opposite of that is a person can be the most kind, loving, hospitable, warm individual but if they don't have a knowledge of God, then the Bible says that's a shame. Right. And, and I would just mention this one passage from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants you to know the truth. So if you come to a position where you think knowledge is not important, uh, you're going in an opposite direction from what God wants you to do. Well, Jesus even said, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Exactly. There's value in that. I love what you said, that it's not always binary of being one or the other. They have to work together. There has to be a love for the Lord, a love for the Lord's people, a love for the lost. But it has to be grounded in something that's uh, objective, the truth, and not subjective of just how I feel today and tomorrow. It might be different. What a confusing faith that would be. Yeah. Well, we've reached the end of uh, these four causes of apostasy being uh, trials and a false doctrine, the neglect, and finally, the uh, lack of knowledge. I'm wondering if you would just want to maybe have a final thought or, or sum something up for us that 
would maybe wrap up this part of the study? Well, just this, when we veer off course, and we've, we've used a couple of examples here today, uh, a person you know driving down the road and running off into the ditch, or a person in a boat or an inner tube that floats away from safety. Uh, in all of these cases, we recognize the imminent physical danger. Right. So, so in the physical realm, it's real easy for us to understand that there is imminent danger. Right. Uh, if we float away or drift away or walk away or veer off from something that's solid. Well, uh, you know, Jesus says the word of God is truth. And we've talked about how the truth will make us free. And that if we neglect it or veer away from it, we'll be lost. So I would just simply say that we need to spend time reading and studying and meditating and thinking about and talking about the word of God. That's the key to the whole thing. And when we do that, then we won't be neglectful. We'll be diligent. Then we won't be as apt to fall for false doctrines because we'll understand what the truth is. Amen. Okay. Well, brother, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Glad you're in the studio with me and uh, look forward to the next time that we can be together. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, brother. All right. I want to thank you once again for listening to the podcast. I'm so thankful for your support. You can download these podcasts at SoundCloud or on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Uh, you can also subscribe to them there. Subscribing is very helpful for me because it allows me to get you the content uh, as soon as I upload it. So it's like radio on demand. And so if you're listening to this for the first time, I ask you to please go to SoundCloud or to uh, Apple Podcast. You can go to the website as well, pureandsimplebible.com backslash podcast, and subscribe to that, and it'll help me know that this is a meaningful ministry for those out there listening. While you're on the website, please consider looking at the study resources that are yours to use absolutely free. And until next time, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me.